had a baby, Isaac Giovanni. Hallelujah. I didn't see this. Born 310, Thursday, 8 pounds, 2 ounces, and 18 inches. Thank God for that. Hallelujah. I don't think he's getting dedicated this morning. Amen. That might be a record. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, we are going to have a baby dedication right now. So I'd like all of these uh, that have talked to us to come right now. Go ahead and come on up here. Hallelujah. Don't be embarrassed. Come on up. Hallelujah. Just come stand right behind me. Hallelujah. We have a, a record dedication this morning, by the way, folks. Hallelujah. I count 23 kids that are going to be dedicated. Hallelujah. Now, you might be thinking, what is in the water around here? But um, uh, some of these are wonderful families that have recently given their lives to Christ and want their children dedicated. How many know that's a good idea? Amen. And uh, Pastor Pena is going to help me. Paul Hart, if you could come and, uh, and help out. Brother Medrano, would you come also? Hallelujah. Brother Medrano? <laughs> okay, come on up here. God is pro-kid. And in a world where there's so many threats and dangers, it's so important that we invoke God, we intercede, that God would step in and bless and minister. And not only do we pray for these children, but we pray for these parents, that God would help them. It takes a lot of wisdom to be a parent. There's so many things that are going on in lives and from when they're these little tiny babies to when they get to be teenagers and knowing what to do. And the wonderful thing is that so much of the Bible spoken about how we should raise our children, what we should do and what we should guard them from. And so I'm just going to read the names off. We have so many children here this morning. We have uh, Joshua, uh, I believe this is Ulysses Lopez. Dominic Ray Cortez, Celeste Maria Cortez, Ezequiel Agustin Bautista, Vicente Cortez Dominguez, and Pedro Cruz Cortez Dominguez, Josiah Michael Aguilar, Caleb Arnold Torres, Ariel and Isabella Opolinad, Rudy Opolinad Jr., Rocky Love Opolinad, Ryan Artest Opolinad, Diamond J. Hernandez, Santiago Hernandez, James J. Hernandez, Ruby J. Hernandez, Savannah Neve Montalongo, Jessica Angel Rodriguez, Julissa Minerva Rodriguez, Belen Alvarado, Catalina Spites, Leah Joanne Yanez, and Mia Juliet Martinez. Hallelujah. A lot of children. Amen. Okay. Hallelujah. Pastor Pena is going to help me, and you all start on that section over here. Hallelujah, right here, Brother Alfonso, help me, and uh, we're going to move through, and we're going to pray. I need you to help me pray, and we're going to ask God to bless these children, these parents, and let's believe God to minister and have his way. Pastor, you start on that end, I'll start over here. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. You can uh, find your seats again. Praise God. Let's give these families a hand as they make their way back. Hallelujah. Every time we do a baby dedication, I think we ought to do this more often. Hallelujah. Thank God for these precious families. Amen. All 
right. I, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Leviticus. And I want to speak on the subject of family is appropriate and something like this. And I gave you a little hint last week. Leviticus chapter 20. We're going to go there in the word of God. We have just had a wonderful dedication. These precious children and all that children represent. All these kids are cute and adorable. How many can say amen? But there's a reason why we dedicate them and their parents to the Lord. We live in a treacherous world this morning. We live in a world that's fraught with danger. And we are praying for these children and we are praying for these parents because we understand that this is not going to be an easy road. That there are dangers and threats that they're going to have to deal with. And, and some of them are societal. I mean, it is just the way of the world. Somebody said this is a schizophrenic generation of parents. We give our kids helmets to ride bicycles and drugs to control their behavior. That on one hand, you know, we're so worried about their safety that, that uh, you got to wear a helmet to ride a bike down the block. Uh, and yet, uh, we're so careless uh, that we think that we can give them medication to control their behavior. Now, I want to focus this morning on one specific area of danger that a parent is going to have to deal with with their children. Some of you are already there. You're in the midst of it. You just don't realize it. I can preach, and over the years, I can preach on uh, discipline. I preach about media and television and movies and all of that. But this morning, I want to preach on the occult. I want to talk about witchcraft and the role that witchcraft plays with children. And I'm going to ask you to open your heart. There's a reason why the Bible says the things it says. Leviticus 20, beginning in verse 1. I want to preach a sermon called The Bewitching of Children. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. We pray for a Holy Ghost dominion. We pray that the eyes of our understanding would be opened. God, we know the exceeding greatness of your power. Lord, we know that a devil exposed is a devil defeated. And Father, I pray for deliverance this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to begin, I want to preach this morning about Molech. Now, I know that many of you are perhaps not familiar with this uh, heathen God, but there is our text today. 
from the book of Leviticus. God is establishing spiritual boundaries and borders for his people all through the book of Leviticus. God is drawing lines. People who say you shouldn't judge uh, are going to have a problem with God because in the book of Leviticus, he does a lot of judging. He draws lines and he establishes borders um, and these borders and boundaries were not meant to confine people but to keep people safe. You know what? We have locks on our doors. I have a fence for my backyard. If you go down Marbach Road and you turn left on Hunt Lane, there's going to be a big power plant there uh, where uh, the CPS uh, uh, locates a lot of its power for our area of town. Uh, and guess what? They built a fence around that thing because it's dangerous and they don't want people wandering in there uh, and getting electrocuted. And so they build a fence. Do you understand this morning that our God knows there are dangers and threats, so he builds fences to protect us and builds boundaries and establishes borders for our good. And it's important to understand one of the boundaries that God established uh, as they were to move into the land was against uh, Molech. Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers uh, or who gives his descendants, uh, other translations who give their children to Molech, he shall surely be put uh, to death. So here God says there is this deity, this idol. His name is Molech. Uh, and I'm saying to you right now, uh, if you've had anybody messing with this, I want you to kill him. I want, you to, I want this man expunged him from um, Society. Now, let me tell you who Molech is this morning. Molech was the chief god of the Ammonites. In fact, the name Molech is translated uh, ruler or governor. The Ammonites uh, lived in what is today present-day Jordan. In fact, the capital of, of uh, Jordan is Ammon. And uh, this uh, was their chief god. It was their chief uh, ruler. And uh, as they begin to move in that direction, God is concerned and says, listen, I'm very concerned about this particular deity, and I'm drawing the line that I will not tolerate anything having to do with Molech. Now, go ahead and branch, uh, show us that picture here real quickly. I want, I want you to see what Molech looked like, because I want you to catch the imagery that is here this morning. This is, this is what Molech was. It's this God right here. And these people would come and they would take babies and children and they would lay it in the hands of this God. And underneath it was this brazier or this fire or this barbecue. And they would roast their children. This was considered to be the ultimate expression of worship to Molech. This was their practice just a moment ago. We had these precious children up here and we extended our hands to bless them in the minds of the Assyrian people uh, or uh, of the Ammonites rather as they would come and they would bring these children they would place them into these hands uh, some writers said that there was a ap heating apparatus within these hands other writers uh, 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 said that it was a uh, what you see a brazier but they would place children as an ultimate expression of worship and as they begin to move towards uh, uh, the land of the Ammonites God is concerned and he says listen I don't want you to have anything to do with this. I don't want you to touch this. I don't want you to get anywhere near this um, because um, this uh, was something these people did. You can read about ancient 
uh, rabbis and Roman historians uh, who were outraged at this practice, that people who wrote uh, 2,000 years ago and beyond that, who actually came across and observed this Ammonite practice of worshiping Molech and wrote about it and were outraged about it. They could not believe what they were seeing, that people, I mean, Roman historians, with all the corruption of Rome, when they saw this worship, were, were outraged by it. Plutarch said the whole area before the statue was filled with the loud noise of flutes and drums so that the cries and wailing of the children being sacrificed should not reach the ears of the people. That they would go and they would place that child into the hands of this deity and as that child was basically burning death and began to cry out, they would play such a loud noise, nobody could hear it. To kind of hide the horrific scene that was taking place. And you have to understand that the Ammonites, if you were to ask these parents, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? In their mind, they were so twisted, they thought they were venerating their children. That to, to take that child and to offer him to Molech was, was the highest expression of love and dedication for that child. That this was, uh, this was uh, what do you mean? This is, it, to us, this is, uh, uh, we're not debasing our children, we're exalting our children. And God says, you better watch out. Now here's a basic truth about children. Go ahead and uh, turn that off and turn up the light here. You can leave the screen down. You can turn the light on. All right. Okay, basic truth about children. Ready for this? God loves your children, and the devil hates your children. This is our starting point this morning. If you don't get that, then uh, we're going to have to start all over again. God loves your children, and the devil hates your children. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Over and over again in the Bible, you will find two truths, uh, the love of God for children um, and the hatred of our enemy for children, that there is an evil, malevolent, spiritual force called Satan who hates your kids and wants to harm them. We can go all the way back to the book of Exodus when Moses is going to be born and Pharaoh, who is a type of Satan, takes every male Hebrew baby and orders it to be killed. And there's a slaughter of the innocents. And later on, we know that when the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that Herod, who again is a type and a figure of Satan, orders the death of all male babies under the age of two. And again, there is a slaughter because uh, Satan hates children. Revelations 12, verse 4. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Jesus says Satan is a predator, and predators target the weak uh, and the underprotected, and that extends to our uh, children. A predator targets the most vulnerable whether it is a wolf looking at a flock, whether it is an adult male uh, seeking to exploit children, uh, predators uh, go for the weak. Um, and I want to tell you that Satan is a wolf um, and he looks at your children uh, and he views them as the vulnerable. And so you must get it into your mind this morning that there is a powerful evil force in the world that wants to do harm to your children. And when you look at that picture, 
You understand it in that context. These blind, ignorant idolaters uh, who uh, are taking and their children are being offered to feed this spirit as an expression of the hatred uh, that Satan has towards them. Children. That is why this morning, with all due respect uh, to the pro-abortion, Planned Parenthood, uh, who just try, oh, this is about freedom. May I say, in all respect, baloney. It is an expression of a hatred towards children. And in our text is God's heart for children. I want you to protect you. I will not have this. If anybody starts practice, I want him dead. I and mean, that's what he says. I want the, the, the city, I want the people to stone him with stones. And if someone sympathizes with them, I want you to kick him out of the camp. I mean, this is serious business with God because God loves children. And this practice um, is reprehensible to him. You know what is so scary if you were to follow Molech through is it finally did make its way into Israel. Do you know that? It finally entered in and became a practice within Israel. And do you know who was king when they began to permit the practice of Molech? Permit this in Israel. This is uh, long after this command is given in Leviticus 20. Uh, it was none other than King Solomon. When King Solomon began to marry all of his wives and follow his lusts, and, and he began to bring in all these women, uh, the Bible says these wives turned his heart, uh, and they began to embrace some of their idolatrous practices, and one of them was the practice of Molech. That Molech found its way in Israel under this man who was presumed to be the wisest man that ever lived. And they were actually practicing this just east of Jerusalem, Under Solomon. How can the wisest man that ever lived come to a point where in his kingdom, just down the road in the valley of Hinnom, they're offering children to Molech. They're passing them through the fire. Think about this for a minute. The Bible says that when it made its way to Israel, it went into the Valley of Hinnom. Now, the Valley of Hinnom is just east of Jerusalem. And what it is, it's a, it was a gorge, just a big open pit, basically. And this is where they had this practice. And uh, it was the city dump of Jerusalem. You've heard me preach about it before. It was the city dump. They would go out to this gorge, and they would just throw all of their garbage into this gorge, and they had fires on the bottom. So if you look down, there was always fires, and there was a stench of death. They would take old animals and carcasses, and right there is where they erected this uh, Molech, uh, and they began to do this practice. Years and years later, generations later, Josiah, when he becomes the king, begins to stand against it. Part of his reforms was confronting uh, the practice of Molech. The Valley of Hinnom, that's what it's in Hebrew. You know what it is in Greek, the word Valley of Hinnom? You know how you pronounce it in Greek? It's the word Gehenna. All right? The word Gehenna, you take the word Gehenna in Greek and you translate it into English. You know what the word is? It's the word hell. When Jesus says hell, he's saying Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. When he talks about hell, in hell he lifted up his eyes. 
he's talking about this valley where they practice this thing. I want you to listen. I want to help you connect the dots. That at this very place that Jesus Christ said, you want to know what hell is like, all you got to do is go out to the valley of Hinnom and look down this pit and see the fire and smell the refuse, uh, the worm dying not. It's referring to the maggots and things that are, you'll find in that kind of place. Uh, Jesus says, you want to know about hell, just go out to the valley of Hinnom and look down in that pit. And it is interesting to me that when Molech made its way in Israel, it's set up right there. And that is right there at hell is where these children were being offered. You know why I believe that so this morning? Because I don't think there's a greater expression of hell on the earth today than the violation of a child. Now here, I want you to consider this this morning. Does Molech still live? See, are we just talking about history here? This is just a nice historical fact. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, that, those ancients, they sure were ignorant. I believe this morning that behind every idol is a spirit. And even though the idol per se, the statue may be something relegated to the British Museum, the spirit still lives. The Bible says these stories are written in the Old Testament for our example or our warning. Listen to the Apostle Paul, what I am saying then, that an idol is anything, or what is offered to an idol is anything, rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So now I want you to think about this. Here are the Apostle Paul, and they're, they're wrestling through the issue of idolatry, and he makes this profound statement. He says, listen, the issue never was to statue. The issue never was the, 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 the wood or the stone that this thing was carved out of. He said that was never the issue. He says what the issue was is that behind these idols were demon spirits. And these spirits have power. And he's speaking to Christians and he's saying, you better watch it. Because when you begin to dabble with idolatry, you are actually entering into a spiritual realm. You are fellowshipping with demons. That there is a spirit... And that spirit still operates and still lives um, in the year 2010. And we just can't write this off and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what those uh, ignorant uh, people down uh, many years ago uh, did, but not, not here in, uh, in America where we're educated. People may not physically carry children to a stone idol to burn them to death. I think that's a fairly rare practice in our world today. These people who, in ignorance, took children, put them into these hands to burn, and then in the music and everything else, uh, uh, drowned out their cries and walked away feeling good about themselves. Oh, that doesn't happen today. I wonder if children, parents unwittingly leave children exposed and vulnerable to Satan and wreak havoc on their souls in this generation. I wonder this morning if the problem in America today in many places is not the take them to a stone idol, but just simply to take our children and just basically lay them at the feet of this world uh, and then just let them find their own way. And we're not careful, drown out, drown out their cries with all of our toys and money and everything else. And have them sacrificed on an altar. Here, God says, I'm concerned about Molech, mediums, and familiar spirits, and children. 
That's what that verse says. I am concerned about mediums, familiar spirits, Molech, and your kids. You are going to have to watch out for these dangers. Let me speak for a minute this morning on the occult and our children. See, the problem today is that most people fail to see the occult as a threat. Say, come on, Pastor Ruby. This fantasy, it's just imagination, it's just a healthy escape. You know, children have imaginations. Child superstition, you know, it's just, you know, this is, you know, don't, don't get it, don't get so panicked. Let me read you a couple of things. Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a boy who discovers he's a witch and uh, basically it's trained his powers. I'm saying this having read about it, I've got to confess, I have not read the Harry Potter books or seen the movies. Thank God. But from what I read, it's about a boy who's, uh, I think, orphaned, and he discovers that he's a witch, gets invited to a, a, a witch school, oh boy, and, uh, and then is trained in his powers and then has various uh, encounters in witchery. As of June 2008, the book series has sold more than 400 million copies, has been translated into 67 languages. The last four books have consecutively set records as the fastest-selling books in history. Twilight. Twilight. This is a teen romance between a girl and a good vampire. As of November 2009, the series has sold over 85 million copies worldwide, translated into 38 different languages around the globe. Four Twilight books have consecutively set records as the biggest selling novels of 2008. On the USA Today best selling book list, and has spent over 235 weeks on the New York Times best selling list for children's series books. Harry Potter kids have become the Twilight teens. Just listen to me this morning. I mean, witchcraft is an occult practice. You know what occult means? It just means dark. Witchcraft is an occult practice. Vampires. I mean, and so, and so, oh, come on, Pastor. This is just children's imagination. It's harmless stuff. Now remember, again, let me take you back to the Bible. Molech, mediums, I don't want you to have anything to do with these things with your kids. And so now we, we, we have this weird fascination where through these Trojan horses, people and children are introduced and are fascinated and associate themselves. They say the Twilight series, these teen girls, heartthrob, there's a movie or a couple of movies out and there's this pale boy and he's a vampire but he really loves me. And, uh, and, 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 and they say the teenage girls just, oh, they just fall apart over this stuff. And apparently in the book, this girl wants to become a vampire like him. Listen to this quote. As a former witch, I can speak with authority when I say that I've examined the works of J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter books. They said the Harry Potter books are training manuals for the occult. Untold millions of young people are being taught to think, speak, dress, and act like witches by filling their heads with the contents of these books. Children are obsessed with the Harry Potter books uh, that they've left television and video games to read these witchcraft manuals. The first book of this series finds the orphan Harry Potter embarking into a new realm when he is taken to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. At this occult school... Harry Potter learns how to obtain and use witchcraft equipment. 
Harry also learns a new vocabulary, including the words Azkaban, Circe, Draco, and Erised, Hermes, and Slytherin, all of which are the names of real devils or demons. These are not characters of fiction. How serious is this? By reading these materials, many of these millions of young people are learning how to work with demon spirits. Just, just fantasy. You know, there was a time where there was always a fringe movement. Think with me for a minute. There, you, had, uh, the, the, you always had goth. Even when I was in school, there were goth people, just black and pale and always dressed in black and were dark. And, uh, you know, there's always been a, 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 that fringe movement, just as there's always been a fringe tattoo and a fringe piercing movement. What we have seen over the last few years is the mainstreaming of the occult. The occult has become fashionable. That's why you get a tattoo. That's why you get pierced up. That's why kids begin to read these books and have a, begin to develop an appetite and a fascination with death. And begin to, and what has happened is this is mainstream. I was talking with a pastor the other day, and we were talking about this, and, and that this, this is, you know, you know, there were always these elements, but they've mainstreamed. Back in the 60s, there was always a group of dopers. By the time I came around in the 70s, everybody was getting high. It hit the mainstream. And what has happened is that this has now become mainstream, goth culture, tattoos, self-mutilation. And what is happening is that people think, oh, this is harmless. Uh, this is fashion. Uh, you know, let's not make a mountain out of a molehill. And they don't understand. Again, the imagery that I want you to capture is there's Molech, which is an expression of Satan who hates children. And what we're seeing is a generation of young people begin to move right in that direction. Thinking, oh, no, no, it's just harmless. There'll be no damage. Uh, they'll outgrow this. Blood is a life force. Occult practice always has a fascination with blood. You can go all the way back to the Bible and you see this. The Bible says that the priests of Baal, when... They were going to make the sacrifice, and, and Elijah said, you call on your God. And the Bible says all day they prayed. And what did they do? They began to cut themselves. Why did they cut themselves? Because that's what they believed. They believed that by cutting themselves, they were conjuring up a spirit. They were connecting themselves to something powerful, something supernatural. Uh, and so the bloodletting uh, in their mind was a powerful experience. Uh, and we were, going to, we were going to be able to tap into the supernatural and the spirit. Uh, and they cut themselves. Later on, Jesus goes to the country of the Gadarenes. And the Bible says there's a man living in a graveyard, running around naked, cutting himself. This man is filled with demon spirits, filled and tormented, and that again found an expression in the cutting and in the blood. There's always been in the, in, in the occult world a fascination with blood. Deuteronomy 14.1, you are the children of the Lord your God, you shall not cut yourselves, nor shave the front of your head for the dead. And, here is uh, God speaking, um, and he's saying, listen, uh, I want to make sure that uh, you understand you're not going to follow me, and you're not going to enter into these practices. That bloodletting uh, and a fascination with blood um, very much moved um, in the realm of the occult. In Acts 15, when the early church was trying to figure out what do we tell these Gentiles who are gross idolaters, how to live for God, they said three things, three things. 
you're going to live for God, uh, he says, number one, uh, he says, uh, you stay away from idols. How many know Christians should not be involved with idolatry? Second thing he says is don't fornicate. That's a pretty simple one, isn't it? Don't fornicate. If you're involved with somebody sexually that you're not married to, uh, stop it. That's what he says. The third thing he says is tell them to avoid blood. You know, it's interesting because it says things strangled and blood. And the reason they say that things strangled and blood is that these pagans, these people that were involved in these occult practices, what was premium to them was to take an animal and to strangle it so as not to violate the blood and keep the blood pure, and then they would drink the blood. This is a foul, wicked thing, I understand. But what I want you to, there's a, there's a, there was a fascination. And the Bible says if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to judge that. You are no longer going to practice um, and be involved um, in this kind of thing. I was thinking about this. Over the years, I've preached many sermons on idolatry, many sermons on fornication, but I don't think I've ever preached on you must stop messing with blood. I thought, well, Lord, how many vampires are there? But now it's time to preach it. Because these pagan rituals were blood rituals. And what is happening is that we are looking in a world where we're watching as kids are cutting themselves now. Now there's this with twilight, this fascination with, with death uh, and things of that nature. Let me, uh, I found this interesting quote by a man named Hamley who wrote what is considered the Bible on tattoos. This was a guy who was pro-tattoo. This is not an anti-tattoo person. He concluded that historically tattooing had originated in connection with ancient rites of sacrification and bloodletting that were associated with religious practices and intended to put the human soul in harmony with spiritual forces. That here's a man, he wrote this many, many, many years ago, long before the modern tattoo movement. You're a Christian, you have no business getting a tattoo. Now, you're saved and you had one. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you this morning that getting a tattoo is a bloodletting experience. It is a blood sacrifice. It is a blood, you're involving blood. That's where they come from. And the ancients, uh, and as he began to look into this, he said, you know what, this, this is what people understood it was. They were involving themselves in something that was spiritual. They believed that they were entering in and they were connecting with something supernatural. So I'm talking to this man. He's telling me about the latest popular thing among teenagers. They're so involved now in this Twilight series that the latest practice is out on full moons. These kids meet, and then they cut themselves, and then they suck each other's blood. Hey, I'm, this is crazy. I know. That's why I'm preaching on it. These little teenagers, man. They go off, they're all caught up into this, and it's not just cut, but now I'm going to suck your blood. Now, this is the generation that was made to wear a helmet to ride a tricycle. That was uh, taught in the safe sex thing that has been just, uh, and here, cut themselves and, and just try this out. And have become fascinated, and I submit to you that there's a bloodlust that begins to move in people's lives um, as they begin to move and march towards Molech. You know, one of the signs of Satanism and people who go down that route is to understand that basically what happens when people go, which is just an expression of rebellion, I understand that, 
But when they begin to go down that road, it's always the same thing. You must lose your inhibitions. Anything that was taboo, anything that was forbidden, you must release that. You, you must be willing to do anything. And the second thing is you're going to have to mutilate your body somehow. That's what I'm saying. Tattoos and piercings are from hell. The third thing is degradation. You must be willing to be degraded. People move down this road. Little lesson in life. If they'll get a tattoo, believe me, they do a lot more than that, mom and dad. You think little junior or junior just went and got a tattoo, but they're still a good Christian. Don't kid yourself. It is the releasing of inhibitions. Some people have called tattoos slut tags. You know that? Slut tags. Because what they're saying is, you show me someone who does this, I'll show you someone who's willing to do anything. Because we're talking about a releasing of inhibitions. Because that is the message. That is the plan. You must remove all those tattoos, all those taboos that God put on you, all those restrictions, all those boundaries. You know what was not widely known is that a fascination of blood becomes an irresistible bondage. Let me tell you a few stories here, true stories, stuff that is out there but you don't hear much about, and you should. A few years ago in Kentucky, teenage kid, child of divorce, bouncing between parents, goes to this little town in Kentucky. He's the only goth kid in the whole school. He drags, attracts three other kids with him. They form their little goth gang, and he leads them and first of all, let's kill some animals, start by killing animals. Then one day in a frenzy, let's drink their blood, start drinking their blood. And what happened, these are four kids from a little town in Kentucky, get in their car, they drive all the way to Orlando, Florida, they find a 49-year-old man and 54-year-old wife, totally random, and kill them to drink their blood. This horrific murder, they get in their car, they finally make their way back. All four of these kids are in prison today, they call him the Kentucky Vampire. Four teenage kids who just simply started and began to move down this road. But the problem with blood is it creates a lust, an appetite. And once they stepped into it, horrible, horrible hunger and appetite. And, and, and next thing you know, they think they're vampires. Euroslav is a little town Really, it's, not, it's about a million people, actually, in northern Russia. I have been to Yaroslav uh, uh, a couple of times because it sits in the area where we have a lot of our churches. Maybe you remember that about four years ago in October 2005, I believe it was, four teenagers were killed and eaten by eight teenagers. Same thing. A goth, other goths kill animals. One day they went to the grave and they exhumed a body of a recently dead person. A bloodlust. Until finally they killed three girls and a boy. Four kids. And we're like, what? what, what that's crazy. Right now in Germany there's a very wide known, a well-known case of very similar activity and 
these people in their defense said, oh, you go to England and London. They said, what happened to you? He said, well, we just went to London. And we got into that huge goth culture there in London and, and began to move in this direction. And next thing you know, they're standing right there at Moloch. Say, what are you saying? Are you saying my kid's doing that? I'm saying this morning that Harry Potter and Twilight and all are just a nice little cute sugar-coated gateway straight into this. That's what I'm saying. And that we're living in an age, oh, it's it's just fantasy. Does Moloch still live? Is there a malevolent force that wants to do damage to children, or is that just something that stopped 2,000 years ago? How do we respond to this? Because in this, in this text, pretty clear, it's judgment. God says, I want you to judge this. Certain things must be avoided. If somebody begins to go, Molech, I, I, no, judge it. I want you to draw a line you know what really bothered me when I began to read about this stuff? Is I read Christian media, Christianity Today magazine, a few others. And you know what they were saying in their review of these books, particularly the uh, Twilight series books, is they said, don't get hung up on the vampires. Vampires, I mean, the vampires are just an imaginary device, you know, and, that, and, and then they, you know, they try to do this Christian uh, critique of the book on other things about the book. Well, he says that he's not going to sleep with her. And so that would be a very positive thing to tell your kids. And, and, uh, and, uh, then, and then, you know, and it gets, and, and, and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, it's a vampire. It's all I need to know, man. I don't need to know any of the other storylines. I don't really care. Uh, it's a vampire. Well, yeah, but yeah, but just set aside the vampire. No, I'm not setting aside the vampire. A vampire is still a vampire. Amen. I never saw a good vampire. When I was a kid growing up, I saw the Curse of Dracula. That was all I needed to know about vampires, man. Some of you know, someone's telling me about this movie called The Lost Boys in the 80s that converted some of you. But I'm telling you, I thank God I never saw any of that. Amen. Vampires were evil back in my day. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Oh, well, yeah, just, no, yeah, just set that aside. It's just real. It's a vampire. You shouldn't set aside a vampire. No, no, no. They're good vampires. And they protect the, the girl from the bad vampires. They're all vampires. <laughs> Acts 19, you know what happened? These people lived in Ephesus. This was a wicked city, wicked idolatry. And these people got saved. And one day, they saw a demon manifest at church, and it freaked them out. And so you know what they did? The Bible says that they went home, and they got all their magic books. All their magic books. All their occult paraphernalia. And they brought it back to church, and they made a giant pile, and they lit it on fire. I ask you this morning, if they had Harry Potter and Twilight and they had DVDs with all kinds of horror movies and slasher films, do you think those people would have brought that and put that on the pile? Ah, you know, oh, it's not a threat, danger today. These people 
simply saw a demonic manifestation and said, whoa, I'm getting as far away from this as possible. Judgment. Second thing, pay attention to what your kids are doing. Because the problem today is the predator preys on the unprotected. He preys on someone. I mean, it's obvious this morning. If there was a predator and he wanted to harm a child, which one would he harm? The one whose parents are surrounding them or the one that's left on their own? Pay attention. Find out what your kid is reading. Every parent here ought to have the right to go and grab your kid's cell phone and look at what's text, what they're doing with it. If your kid has a MySpace account or a Facebook account or some social networking site and you don't know it, you have a major problem. If you can't say to your son or daughter, I want to go to that site. This afternoon, we got a church. We go and we eat at, uh, uh, um, what are we eating today? Uh, <laughs> hold on, man. I'm almost done. I know you're... Uh, Say, we're going to go home, and then we're going to call up your Facebook account or your mice, and I want to see it. If that makes your kid scared, you got a problem. Pay attention. I'm going to read you a little story. I used this in Sunday school a while back. It's kind of long, but you're just going to have to bear with me. It says, when their teenage daughter Emma went into a goth phase a while back, Deborah Kelly and Mark Niederbrock thought long and hard about what to do. And they decided to accept her adolescent rebellion rather than fight it. So they didn't forbid her from dyeing her hair bright pink and wearing heavy black makeup, even when Emma, 16, developed a fascination with horrorcore rap, a bizarre subgenre that celebrates murder, cannibalism, and just about every other depravity under the full moon. They gamely kept their dismay in check. Deborah and Mark were greatly concerned, uh, but they concluded, says their friend, that you either go along with your kids or watch them walk out the door. Now friends wish a couple had pushed back. On September 18, police discovered the bodies of Emma and her parents, along with a, that of a friend, Melanie Wells, at their home in Farmville. Authorities quickly arrested Richard Sammy McCroskey III, an aspiring horrorcore rapper who goes by the name Psycho Sam in connection with the murders. McCroskey, who lives near San Francisco, had met Emma last year, had been staying with the family for about two weeks. Autopsies revealed all four victims died of blunt force trauma to the head, and investigators allege that McCroskey spent days in the house with the corpses, says one shaken police source. It was the most gruesome crime scene I've ever attended. The murder stunned friends of the victims, not only for their brutality, but for the fact that Kelly and Niederbrock were unusually well-suited to protect their daughter. Kelly specialized in criminology, especially violence against women. Niederbrock, they were separated, was a beloved pastor at Walker's Presbyterian Church, whose parishioners portray him as an exceptionally dedicated dad. Friends agree they were in family counseling together and it was going fine, says a longtime pal of the couples. The couple hoped that Emma, who was their only child, was just going through a rough period. Thus, they allowed her to invite McCroskey to fly out and spend a few days. How many know if your boyfriend's named Psycho Sam, you don't want him coming to stay at your house? Fearing Emma might run away with McCroskey if they forbade her from attending a horrorcore mashup called the Strictly for the Wicked Festival in Michigan, they drove the teens 1,300 miles there and back. Deborah thought, at least if we take them there, we'll make sure they're safe, says Langan. Friends of McCroskey's in the horrorcore world echo the notion that he didn't appear all that threatening. Nobody who knows him saw this coming. 
says Dan McDowell, a horrorcore rapper who goes by the name uh, 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 Guttel Vlind. If you meet him, you wouldn't think there was anything creepy. On the other hand, Murkowski's rap lyrics were anything but bland. A sample, I've killed many people, I'll kill them real slow. It's the best feeling watching their last breath. James Hobson, a family friend, said Deborah and Mark were thinking, what do we do? Lock her in the basement? Put bars on the windows? In retrospect, locking her up would have been a good option. Pay attention. Well, they're just getting a little goth. They're just a little... Pay attention. Because what we're talking about, friend, is spiritual. God said, you will not... I will not have mediums, familiar spirits, Molech... I will not have you doing this to your kids. That is, that is defense. Just pay attention. Say, no, 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 we're not. No, you're not going to get that. No, you're not going to have that here. You know, you're not going to read that. No, we're not having this slasher movie. Thirdly, one last thing, and this is a spiritual battle, Dad. You better pray for your kids because this is spiritual. This is a, there's a, there's a spiritual discernment of father, especially better exercise with your children. Why? Because there's Molech. Go ahead and put that up there, Brad. There's Molech. And if you don't understand that about your kids, that there is a force that hates your child, and you're going to have to be able to answer that spiritually. Something in you that says, no. I am not going to permit this. An historian went down there and looked at this, had looked at one of these. And he watched this. He, you know, you got to understand that when they came across this, people gathered and said, what's going on here? What are you people doing? And he wrote these words. He described it. He says, There stands in the midst of a bronze statue of Cronus, its hands extended over a bronze brazier, the flames of which engulfed a child. When the flames fall upon the body, the limbs contract, and the open mouth seems almost to be laughing until the contracted body slips quietly into the brazier. This is what we're dealing with. If you think the same demons that move this aren't working today and that same hatred isn't still targeting children today you and I have to pray let's bow our heads our heads are bowed no one moving around waiting on God First of all, is there anybody here? You're not right. You're not saved. You need forgiveness. We live in a world that's been ripped off by sin. Damage, untold damage, violation. I'm going to tell you, God loves you this morning. Jesus Christ died, shed his blood. Friend, God, God loves people. He's made a way for you and I to be saved. He says a wolf comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's describing Satan. He says, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. This morning, God loves you. He cares about you. And friend, he knows you. He knows what you've done. 
but he went to a cross and died in your place, suffered where you deserve to suffer, so you can find forgiveness. His blood can justify. His blood can cleanse your conscience. You say, Pastor Ruby, I need that this morning. I need Jesus to forgive my sin. If that's you, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, you say, I want you to pray for me, Pastor. I'm not right with God. I want you just to lift up your hand and just put it up high where I can see it. God bless you. God bless you. Who else? Lift up your hand. God bless you. God bless you. I'm not right with God. I need prayer. I need God this morning. I need forgiveness. I want to follow Christ. Lift up your hand. I'm not right, but I want to be. Pray for me, Pastor. Here's my hand. Lift it up all around this building. All around. Just slip it up. Hands are going up all around this building. I want you to respond. Lift up your hand. Pray for me. I'm not right with God. All right, I want, maybe you're a backslider. You walked with God at one time, but you're backslidden. God's dealing with you. God bless you. Who else? These hands have gone up. Are there any others? I want every one of you just to lift your head and look at me. I want to pray for you. Come on, brother, in the back. Right here, that's, I want you to come. Come on, brother. Come on over here. You lifted your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Come on, sis. Come on, sir. Come on. I want you to come. Don't be embarrassed. Come down and find a place to pray. Hands have gone up right here. Just step out from where you are. Come join us here at this altar. I need Christ. I don't want to miss this opportunity. I'm asking you to kneel right here. Come on, you lifted your hand. I want you to come. Hallelujah. Just come kneel right at this altar. Come here and get a hold of God. I need some workers that will come down. I need some more workers here. Amen. I need some. Hallelujah. Right over here. Hallelujah. Come on. These are coming. All right. Right here. Right, I need some more right here. Right here. Come on. God's dealing with you. I need a sister to come help us. Right here. I need a sister right here. These are coming. Anybody else? While these are praying, you know, our heads are bowed. Every parent here, you ought to shudder at this because it's so subtle. It's so, it's, it's so big that it's like, whoa, what's happening? The damage is done. There are young people here. You're caught up. You go to school. This is the popular thing. And you think, oh, what's the harm? I want to tell you, there's incredible harm with the occult. It always sugarcoats. It always starts easy. But it doesn't stay in there. We are living in an age where the occult has become so mainstream to cry out against it. It's to make you sound like a kook. But there are moms and dads here. You know what? There's judgments that we must make. God says, I don't want this. You're going to have to get rid of this. You're going to have to be involved in your kids' lives. You're going to have to know where they're at. If you're not careful, especially when they move in their teenage years, a wall of separation can be set up. And pretty soon you don't know who they're talking to, what they're talking about. You don't know if they're on MySpace or Facebook, how they represent themselves in the virtual world. I mean, these are major problems. They're not little issues. This idea, well, they just grow out of it. I'm going to tell you that there's a spirit that wants to injure children. My appeal this morning is for parents that will understand that ultimately this is spiritual and we are fighting against the spirit. And you know what that does? That requires us to pray. That requires us to get a hold of God. Flesh and blood can't win this battle. But we have weapons, friend. They are weapons, spiritual weapons. We're going to stand. I'm going to open.